Hey, this is Big Dad Rich, and you're listening to. No, I'm just kidding with you. <laughs> Worst Irish accent ever. <laughs> I used to, I used to always get around with everybody, and I would be like, "Hey, you want to hear my Irish accent?" And they'd say, "Yeah," and I'd say, "See, si, Senor, can you tell me how to get to?" <laughs> Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, Conscience That Made Us. Interviews and stories, tales from the bus We love taking you back to when it all went down The greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound It's concerts, concerts that made us Concerts that made us.com Yo, this is Big Dad Rich, the band of outlaws THC, a.k.a. Texas Hippie Coalition. And you're listening to the concerts that made us. Now go ahead, turn it up. I know you want to.
Big Dad Rich, you're very welcome to concerts that made us. Oh, happy to be here. I have to say it's an absolute honor now. Oh, in my opinion, you guys are the greatest band out there at the moment. I I'm really in love with your music. Um, I, I absolutely have to agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might say that. <laughs> you know, uh, it's when I started many years ago. Um, I started the band. Uh, really, I became single, and I. I heard that if you had a band, girls would chase after you. So that worked out great. <laughs> but uh, my main reasoning was that uh, I could tell there was an appetite for certain kinds of music. And, you know, we lost some, you know, some, some heroes and we lost some great bands. And that kind of music just wasn't out there for anybody anymore. And I just formed a little band just to see what would happen, you know. And then as we got to go on, I could tell that. There was a hunger for it. And then as, you know, offers started coming in, labels started chasing after us and stuff like that. That's when I realized it wasn't just uh, that people had an appetite for it or a hunger for it. They were actually starving for this kind of music. So I'm here to feed the masses, man. I got barbecue pits all over the place. Let me see. I got, you see on barbecue pits right there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we will. Oh, I like it. I like it. Some good old Texas barbecue flavored music. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. I have to ask though, you know, it's obviously your main audience is in America, but what is it like in the rest of the world? Do you guys have much of a reach outside of America? We we actually do, and we do really well. And, you know, it, uh, we get reports from the record label on streaming and stuff like that and you know it seems like in um finland sweden uh, new zealand france germany uh we seem to do really well um you know we do we give out these um family member patches and we do have uh we do have a patched member there in ireland his name was patrick and uh, he came all the way over to the states here to get patched in as a as a family member uh one of the high and mighty uh so uh i guess we do have a little bit of reach over there where where you're coming from it's, it's, it's my understanding you're coming from ireland is that correct ireland ireland right down the south on the tip yeah south side <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly that's something i was wanting to ask, ask you actually you patch in your fans where did that come from yeah you know we a long time ago the band when, when we started playing uh we got these cuts, uh, which you see like a lot of bikers wear these kind of cuts. And we got them, and it really separated, separated us from other bands. So that we'd be at festivals like Rocklahoma or something like that. I remember actually at Rocklahoma, Chips, uh, Chip from Enough's Enough came up and said, this is the best-looking band I have ever seen. He goes, look around here. He goes, I can't tell if these guys are in a band. Or if they work <laughs> as a rigger or a stagehand, because I can't tell them apart, you know. <laughs> so he was like, "So I, uh, you guys look like a band." He goes, "I want to." He goes, "Dang, I just want to hang out with y'all," you know. So that was super cool. Chips say he's a great guy, um, wonderful person actually. But um, as we did it, we we didn't we didn't sell the patches to the public. We only gave them out. And then we had a fan come to us, a young fan, and he was like, man, I I want to wear those patches and I want to let the world know that you're my band and that you're the guy that I'm following and this is the music I listen to and I want them to know that that, that y'all are my band. And he goes, I can't do that because I don't have those patches. So then we started selling the back patches to the public, but we have special patches that say family member on them. And that's what we give out every year. And, uh, you know, it's turned into a great thing. We have a uh, we have a family reunion every year in the month of April, usually around 420, somewhere in there. And uh, we all get together. I, we provide food for everybody. We cook up some vittles. And uh, we all we, we drink, we smoke, we we. Uh, we have a merry old time, you know what I mean? Drink, smoke, be merry, and eat barbecue. <laughs> so, Sounds like a hell of a uh, time. That's what we do, have fun. So 
I know that right now there's only a little over a hundred members because we don't, the number that we induct every year is not a set number, but I let the, the family members are allowed to pick a few and then we put those up for a vote to the public. And then I also pick a few every year because some people are not as uh, social as others, but they, they may still contribute as much to the cause that is Texas Hippie Coalition. They just may not be as social as the others. So those, we always be sure to honor them as well. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> it certainly did. It certainly did. It's a great, a great initiative you have. And, you know, you guys released The Name Lives On back in April. How has the reaction been, especially when you're playing it live? I imagine it's it goes down very well. Man, our, you know, our our crowds have grown, you know, 100 to 250 in certain markets. And we were already doing 400 to 500 people a night. And to some people out there, that may sound like a small number. You know, we're not an arena band. We're we're definitely arena ready. We we just it's been you know for us to move up to that next step has been um, has been tough for us. Uh, as you can imagine, a lot of big gigantic bands they probably don't want to have a band that our live shows like a hockey game. You know, they just they don't want to go on after us. I even had. Uh, Johnny Van Zandt's brother come up to me after Leonard Skinner's show one night and say, that's the loudest pop I have ever heard from an opening act for a Leonard Skinner show. He goes, it will be tough for us to peak where you guys peaked six or seven times tonight. He goes, but we'll get that there. It's just that that's one of the best I've seen. And knowing that and knowing some of the greatest bands that have opened up for Leonard Skinner, it was a, it was a great thing to hear, you know. And I and opening for Black Label Society, um, I never got to talk to the boss man. I always wanted to, but uh, oh man, people kept asking me, "Did you get a picture with him?" And I said, "No," but he took a picture with my mic stand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got that double barrel shotgun mic stand, and uh, when I was leaving, his uh, tour manager, sound man, his every every hat that you could wear guy uh moby uh they call him moby because he's a dick man is he ever (laughs) but uh uh you know and i you know i understand it because my name's richard and uh richard is it's long for dick so (laughs) we i understood exactly i'm the same i'm the same way so but at the, the last night we were there, he was like, man, I'm so glad you're leaving, man. Thank God you are leaving. I was like, oh, man, what a, this is the nicest thing you've ever said to me. And uh, he said, man, you just, you make my boss work too hard, man. You make my boss work too hard. And I was like, all right, man, that's that's cool. That's cool. It's <laughs> a good compliment. <laughs> yeah, I, I took it as such. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you guys, it seems like every day I'm seeing a post saying that you're playing somewhere else, you know, you're constantly touring and as well with the podcast i feel like i have about 25 previous guests who have supported you guys seems to be like a rite of passage for a band nowadays to go on the road with you guys what's it really like being in the band of outlaws is it is it constantly all go it is it is even though like we're it's downtime right now we don't leave back out on tour until november 13th um, we're all working on our social media stuff, growing, trying to grow our social media, working with the release of the Hard Habit video, which came out a couple of weeks ago, helping to push it uh, to have a second single and to have a third and a fourth lined up in the coming year off of one, one album is amazing. So we're looking forward to just keep pushing. But, you know, I, I read the the book, The Dirt by you know about motley crew i don't know if you read that yeah. but it's a great read and if, and if to any of your listeners out there that are looking to be musicians and try to work in the world of music and it actually is called the music business you know so business is important and that's one reason i think that some of my success has been is that not only am i songwriter front man and all around crazy <laughs> sob i guess <laughs> nothing against my mother but uh i uh if if you can't uh handle the business end of it you're gonna sink most definitely so 
and in that book it talks about the three cogs there's a the cog that you start on the middle cog and the upper cog and the upper cog are for bands like motley crew uh judas priest um new bands such as avatar and stuff like that so that's that's that upper cog and then the middle cog is for bands that have made it to the upper cog and fell back to the middle cog like you see a lot of bands like when we're out on tour we could be in a venue where the next night there's a monster band from the past or you know but that's also for bands coming up and we just seem to be stuck on that middle cog Nice. Uh, we haven't made it to the cog as of yet. I we would love to. I mean, who wouldn't want to see that kind of? Who wouldn't want to see that kind of money? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but you know, we're stuck here on the middle cog, and in this middle cog, these are where the you know these are where the workers are. This is where the labor is, and you better have a labor of love. You better love what you do, and I, I definitely do. And the four men that have my back every night, they love. They they love their work as well. We always tell everybody we haven't worked, we don't work, we play. <laughs> so to be able to go out there and play and uh, perform, uh, you know, almost you know we we tour probably about twenty five to thirty weeks out of the year. And if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to support our families, our households, and live the lifestyles that we do. Uh, as you know, um, so many different pathways to get your music for free um it's just it, they're you know used to i remember seeing guys getting million dollar plus contract bonus sign on bonuses to labels and getting major money it just doesn't happen anymore i mean i'm, I'm sure it does to you know somebody like you know that's going to be as big as the next taylor swift or you know the next Something big like that, thing yeah. but yeah but i mean it's just uh in, in this world today, you know, of rock and roll, uh, that kind of money isn't being thrown around that I've heard of or noticed. You know, we're uh, we're lucky to see the resurgence of Pantera and Pantera touring the world again. Uh, the boss man jumping in there and helping out so much and uh, Anthrax's drummer jumping in there. So, I mean, it's uh, it's a great thing. You know, I think Rex Brown is a living legend and Phil is definitely, I've always looked up to Phil. Um, he's always been an idol of mine. And I'm, you know, I, sometimes I may try to steal something from him here and there, but I steal from everybody. It don't matter who it is. If I hear something that sounds good, I, I don't give a damn. I'm going to see if I can vocalize something like it. But, uh, you know, if um, thievery is a big part of the music business, so I'm, I'll, be, I'll be stealing from everybody. But, um, you know, I um, I definitely think that um, if we didn't tour all the time, we would be struggling. Um, you know, I, I wish there were other avenues that would make it to where we could spend more time at home with our families, but there, there currently there are not. Yeah, true, true. And you know, at this stage, I suppose I like diving into my guests' history when it comes to music to see where you came from. So, if you can now, can you remember your earliest musical memory? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. I've been a music guy since day one. I used to be my dad's DJ because <laughs> um, we didn't have, uh, um, you know, we didn't have Spotify. <laughs> we didn't have all the things that you have today that you can just touch something with the greatest of ease. We had a, a an album player that spun vinyl. You know, my dad didn't want to get up and walk over there and put the needle on the record. So he chose me to be the one to put the needle on the record. And uh I used to get up early in the morning, every morning before they got up. I used to get up around six or seven uh, and I would go in there and I'd put records on, but I would take the speakers and aim them in at each other. And I'd lay down between them and they had a little mark on there uh, at three. And then that way, if it was on three, they couldn't hear it in their room where they were sleeping. And then in the mornings, uh, my dad would kick open that door and he'd holler, turn it up, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and that turn it up has always stuck to me. And then, of course, I wrote a song called Turn It Up. But I, um, I remember like I was listening to, you know, people like uh, Mac Davis, Steve Miller, um, a lot of great bands from, from way, way back when, you know. And then my mom, of course, you know, she'd be playing Pat Benatar and stuff like that. So I would hear a lot of that stuff, but 
the first album that I ever bought myself was Van Halen Women and Children First. Uh, not a bad choice. Although my dad turned me on to great stuff such as Johnny Cash, Waylon and Willie, uh, ZZ Top, Leonard Skinner. Uh, those are my fondest memories of listening to those. But I turned my dad on to Van Halen. He was like, Ooh, I like this band. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> and, you know, can you pinpoint the exact moment then that sparked the desire to become a musician? I was probably, I was young, very young. I was watching the Johnny Cash show with my grandma and my papa. And uh, I, I told my grandma, I said, when I grow up, I want to be Johnny Cash. And she said, you can't be Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash is Johnny Cash. <laughs> She said, you always got to be yourself, son. You always got to be yourself. And I said, well, then I'm going to be myself wearing all black all the time, just like Johnny Cash. And I, <laughs> I do it to this day. I still wear all black all the time. And uh, I wanted to be Johnny Cash. I just, there's nothing more that I wanted to be. And then when I was 11, I started writing songs, which was kind of blowing my dad away. He didn't know where that was coming from. My dad was a songwriter, uh, uh, a lyricist, and I. He picked the guitar a little bit, and I, I started picking everything up and running with it, and uh, I started getting support from him and others. And one time we were, I had a band and we were playing in the garage, and the police showed up and said that it was too loud, and we had to turn it off. We had to, we had to quit, and then they left. And when they left, my dad said, "Y'all gonna hit and play if uh, <laughs> if they come back and shut y'all down." I'll go to jail. And he did. He did. I, we, we kept playing and they came back and they took him to jail. He's an outlaw. You know what I mean? He is a true, he's a true outlaw. Uh, and uh, he went to jail. And when he got to jail, one of his old buddies was the captain up there and was like, Johnny, what are you doing in here? And he told him what he was doing in there. And he said, Johnny, grab that trash can over there and go empty that trash can out in the back out there. And, uh, when you come back in, I'll, I'll get you out of here. You can go on home. <laughs> he walked in and walked out. You know? <laughs> I've always wanted to be, you know, in the music world and music is my life. It has been since day one. I mean, my, I've heard my dad and my mom both tell the stories of me laying on in front of the, uh, in front of the record player with those speakers on each side of my ear. I've heard those stories all, my whole life. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, it sounds like you have the coolest dad ever. You know, I wish my dad was that cool. <laughs> my dad was so cool that when he found my stash of weed, he said, apparently you're smoking better weed than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I took a, I took a little bud from you and I smoked it with your stepmama and uh, I just want to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, I actually used to tell everybody that if I was half as cool as my dad, I'd be the second coolest dude on the planet. You know what I mean? That's how cool he was. And he was a little guy too. Looked like uh, kind of looked like uh, Sam Elliott meets uh, Little Joe Cartwright. <laughs> you know. He, <laughs> yeah. you know. But one time we were both dating women the same age, just that were the same age. <laughs> oh God. You have to like make a movie about him or something. <laughs> he would deserve it. He would definitely deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the podcast is called Concerts That Made Us. So I have to ask, as a concert goer, what concerts do you think have made you? You know, first of all, the first concert I ever went to was actually Tom Petty. Right. It was a great show. Wonderful show. I absolutely loved it. But later on in life, I seen Warlock, Anthrax, and Crocus. And I was like, man, I got to be doing this. I have to be doing this stuff. And then, like, the ones that just, like, superly impressed me like crazy, I went to go see Corrosion of Conformity. And my favorite band, Clutch. Well, Pantera is my favorite band, but, you know, we... We've been without them for so long, but Clutch, I, I've I've actually seen Pantera about thirty times, and now I've uh, I've seen Clutch about thirty two times. Uh, 
So I've also played with Clutch probably three or four times. I can't remember. One night we were main support for him. Uh, on the last day of the Mayan calendar, uh, we, we we called it the the last the last show on earth. <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, but Clutch, uh, ever since I seen him with CLC, I was like, oh my gosh, man, this band is. There's something, and, and I even I write my songwriting styling changed. Like I knew that I no longer had to make total sense when I was singing, and that if I wanted to, I could make up words. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I seen Neil uh, when we played that show with him, and I said. Um, I'm sorry, man, if I turn into a leg humper over here, it's just because I'm so excited. Uh, you're one of my biggest fans, and I you know, I don't want to go crazy on you and freak out on you or anything, so I'm just going to ask that you sign these few items here for me, and I'll get away from you so I don't embarrass myself. <laughs> and uh, we were at a junket where we were doing a, a media junket, and I was walking by, and I had said something when I was talking to him. I said, you know, I, I would, I, you know, I would turn into one of those guys that held on to your belt loop. And when I was walking by, I, I didn't see him, but I started feeling something that was holding on to my belt loop on my right side. And I was like, what is, did I get snagged on something? I turn around and look and there's Neil. He's got, he's got <laughs> his finger in my belt loop holding on to it. I thought that was hilarious. And then I seen him drummer. Carolina Rebellion was the show. And I, um, I walked up to him and I had this barbecue sauce of my own. It's called Buck and Crazy Barbecue. Uh, and I went up and I gave them both a bottle and everything. And then I started hugging them. And I mean, like, I'm hugging them like they're family that I haven't seen in a couple of years. You know what I mean? I was squeezing them, <laughs> loving on them. And as I'm walking away, I stopped and I tried to say, hey, guys, I'm so sorry. I just went off on a hugging binge and I just hugged y'all to death in a big old bear hug, you know. And I said, man, I'm so sorry, you know. And I turned and around, there's just two women there. And they're both like, big dad, big dad, you know. And I, they want me to sign their cowboy hat. They had on cowboy hats, actually. And they wanted me to sign their cowboy hats and everything. I was like, I turned around, I was looking at them. And they're both looking at me and they're smiling, they're laughing, they're they're laughing pretty hard. And then I walk away and these two women ended up being their girlfriends or their wives. One of the two. And <laughs> I was like, Oh man, I'm so glad I didn't say anything like, uh, you want to go over to the tour bus? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? but, uh, I'm sure that's why they were smiling and laughing. Cause that was their women folk. Uh, but I just love clutch, man. I got a million stories about them. You know, I, um, it actually brought to my mind when it comes to lyrical content, Neil is just, he's he's impossible and i mean impossible uh spelt with a b-u-l-l -L at the end bull <laughs> impossible oh man <laughs> and you know for any listeners that are unlucky enough to not have caught one of your shows yet maybe the listeners here in ireland what exactly are they like because it seems like one hell of a party man we keep it so peaked up like we keep it on point, we keep it on high energy the whole show. I do try to break it down for a song or two here and there, you know, pick the right song to let it calm down because I can see the wear and tear on the audience. I can see the audience becoming exhausted by you know three quarters halfway through. So I need to back off of them a little bit and give them a little chance to to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> But we try not to. Um, I forget the band that we just played with not too long ago, and they were going on after us. They were the headliner, and he come up. He said, "Man, you don't, you don't give them a chance to rest, man." He goes, "You're like a UFC fighter. You just come out and just pound, 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 pound." He goes, "When you're done, man, their their asses are whooped." He goes, "We're gonna, we're gonna let a thirty minute break. <laughs> we're gonna let thirty <laughs> minutes go by before." Go back out there, man. That's the way we, you know, I've, I've been one of those guys that wax the moles my whole life. You know, I'm just whacking moles, whack a mole, whack a mole, <laughs> whack a mole. And, you know, and that's, that's helped. I've been successful that way. So I don't, I haven't tried another way since. Yeah. Don't, uh, 
don't change perfection. Huh? Sure, there is another way. <laughs> Do what now? I said, don't change perfection. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, out of all the gigs you've played, is there one that sticks out as maybe the most perfect experience you've had? You know, opening for Leonard Skinner and having them come out and say what they said to us. Uh, the back, you know, the backup singers, the females coming up to me and giving me a big hug and telling me how happy they are to see a real man in the music world. Uh, they were afraid that they were gone and that they were so happy and that they considered me a real man. And, well, you want to talk about a boost to the ego right there. And uh, the fact that um, what Van Zandt had said, it really inspired me. But there's something that we do at the end of every night. And uh, we take a bow. And when we bow, I say, this is a little something we do. Stole it from Motley fucking crew. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first night that we ever done that was in Reno, Nevada. And something about the Leonard Skinner tour is that we got kicked off. After our first show, I said, uh, I wrote this song because I killed a bitch. And uh, it's a song about um, having killed a woman and the person that she was with and put them in the bottom of a river. <clears throat> and so when we got off, they told me that I, like, I couldn't be talking like that. It was disrespectful and that I was going to be off the tour. They were going to discuss. I could go on to the next town, which was Reno, but I may not do the show. So, oh man, I was so depressed about it. I was so upset about it. I called my mom. Listen to me when I tell you this. Every man, no matter how young or how old, when he's put in a predicament that is stressful on the brain, he's going to call his mama. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right now, he's going to call his mama. God bless my mama. Rest in peace, mama. But. I still talk to her. She, I don't know if she's listening. She didn't always listen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I called my mama and I told her, and she said, a long time ago, son, before you were born, I drove to Cleveland. And uh, I mainly went to see Leonard Skinner, who was opening for The Who. And uh, when I got there, they came out and said that Leonard Skinner would not be on the bill due to the fact that uh, the Van Zant that was the singer then, he had uh, done something that they viewed as disrespectful and that he was kicked off the tour and he would no longer be on that tour. Leonard Skinner would no longer be on the tour. She said, so Leonard Skinner was young at that time. They had maybe one album, I think she said, and she said, look at what they became. So maybe you're, you've done the right thing, same as they done the right thing. They stood by their roots where they came from. And maybe you're a little bit more Leonard Skinner now than Leonard Skinner is. And I mean, it just warmed my heart, warmed my soul, made me feel so good. And uh, that next night, they came up to me and they said, can you refrain from saying that? I said, we won't even play that song. We'll do a totally different song. And uh, so they let us stay on the tour. And boy, I prayed hard on it, too. So I, I went out there and I decided that I was going to tell the audience my story that I just told you about how I called my mama and all this stuff. And I want you to know that place went crazy. They, they went nuts when I told that story and they, and then we, we played a song, but throughout the night, at least five to seven times, there was a peak and that peak probably was equal to, or close to Skinner's peaks. And that's when Van Zant said that to me. And I mean, that night, as we're he's we come off stage and he says, Hey, I've never seen a pop like that at a Leonard Skinner show for the opening acts. He goes, I want you to do me a favor. And I was like, anything. Thank you for letting me back on the bill. I will do <laughs> I will do anything that doesn't uh that doesn't mess up my moral compass. I'd be happy to do it, you know. <laughs> and he said, We'll go back up there and do one more song for them. They deserve it, and you deserve it. 
Oh, and we God. went back up there and we turned around. I was like, yes, sir, I will on my way. And he said, hey, and when you're done, give them a bow. And we have done that bow every single night since then. And that night I said, this is a little something we do. Stole it from Motley fucking crew. <laughs> and we've done it every night since. So that's, I, I, you know, I know it's a repeated story, but uh, that's, I just can't, that night just meant the world to me for so many different reasons. As you can tell, it's, it comes in from so, it hits so many points on the brain that I will never forget it. And and the story never tires telling, I promise you. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that is one hell of a story. And you know, you're, there's so much energy in your gigs. How do you get ready? How do you psych yourself up? And then afterwards, how do you kind of wind down? You know, beforehand, you know, I uh, I really just try to get myself mentally stable to where I know how the night's going to go in my head. I like preparing for a fight, you know, which, you know, left hook, jab, you know, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to the body and coming to the head? What I'm just, I'm going through all those different things in my mind, you know. I don't drink, you know, most people think I probably, you know, I mean, I do drink. I, I drink Jim Beam. I, lo- I love bourbon, but I mean, like night show night, I do not drink. I do not drink before I go on, and I I do smoke, but I don't smoke until like about two hours before I take the stage. I won't smoke anymore after that, and uh, I just get prepared. You know, I got some young guys in my band, and uh, they always tell me like man, you're just going crazy all over the place, you know, <laughs> and I'm, some of them, I'm twice their age, you know, and uh, they're just like, hi, we're trying, you know, you know, you make us want to go double time because we don't want you to outwork us, you know, so that's good, and I, I love going out there. I always tell everybody that uh, I'm the ass kicker and taker of names, <laughs> so I'm here to kick ass and t- take names, you know what I mean, and uh, I always let the crowd know uh, tomorrow somebody's going to ask you, what in the hell happened to you? And I won't be sure that they tell everybody that they went and seen Texas Hippie Coalition and the band of outlaws kicked their ass. <laughs> That's yeah. what I want them to say. <laughs> they got their ass kicked. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy, but, uh, I, uh, I really just try to drive forward as hard as I can. I've always been a guy to give more than a hundred percent everything I do relationships, uh, uh, music, any job that I ever had, you know, I wanted to be be the best at it, you know. Um, so that's definitely me. And after the show, um, I like to wind down a little bit. I do smoke. Uh, I, I wait a little bit. I don't smoke immediately after. I like to wind down. And then I'll have my meals. I don't eat before I go on stage. And I just kind of chill, man. Sometimes I, you know, I can't watch anything because my brain is going so crazy you know I, uh, my energy level so high it could be four to five hours before i can wind down you know mm-hmm. what i mean uh imagine playing in the super bowl and then how long it's going to take you to come down from it especially if you won uh so for me it is the wind down is tough it's hard on me you know what i mean because i just can't get down <laughs> but uh i definitely uh Sometimes, you know, a lot of times me and the guys are talking, we're hanging out and smoking or whatever, but sometimes I'll, I'll just, if, I, if my brain is just too overworked, that's going to sound crazy to a lot of people out there, but I just play PlayStation. Right. <laughs> I just go on and I just, uh, I just play Sniper or Fortnite or something. And I just go start killing people, you know, <laughs> or, you know, not killing people, but, uh, yeah. killing Fortnite players. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you know it's it's it makes sense though. It's a good way to just switch off the brain and just enjoy and relax. You know, almost going zombie Absolutely. mode. Sometimes if you're you you know if your mind's super preoccupied with one thing, just to go, you know, even to watch a movie, it can become distracting. Uh, but to play a game, you know, it doesn't use too much brain power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. That's it. And, you know, you guys give off the image of like being one hell of a party and you know how to have a good time. When it comes to being on tour, what kind of antics do you guys get up to? Any wild stories you can share? (laughs) 
you know, we're always having fun. Uh, that's one thing about this group of guys. My guitar player, Cord Pool, he's a character man. He's a cut up, and uh, he is always doing crazy stuff. You know, like you'll never know. Like he has a little hat that he wears that has like a little spinning thing on top of it. It's all different colors, and he'll wear it. And then he's got a. He's now he went and bought a sword one day, and he came in. He was like, "Do you think it's crazy that I bought a sword?" So. I just smiled. I didn't say anything, you know, and then I went in and I bought a sword, big old gigantic barbarian type sword. And I put it around my back and I had it standing up like this. And I walked in, everybody was sitting there and I said, uh, I was just walking around the neighborhood here. And I was wondering if, uh, anyone fancied a sword fight. <laughs> everybody started dying laughing. They couldn't believe I went and bought a sword like that. So we're always doing crazy stuff, but, um, you know, we, we mess with other bands a lot. The uh, bands on tour with us that like us, you know, we'll do stuff to them. Um, I send a girl up to them, tell them that um, she was with one of their band members back in, oh, let's just say you know, one of the band members back in Lubbock, Texas, and she's pregnant and she needs to talk to them. Boy, you it'll, it'll scare the crap out of them. You know? Well, usually we'll go check their calendar and see a town that they might have been in, you know, stuff like that. But you know, we don't get real crazy because when we like everybody drinks a little bit. Uh, my drummer doesn't drink or smoke or anything. Uh, my uh, bass player drinks a little, doesn't smoke. Cord drinks a lot, doesn't smoke. And then Nevada, he drinks a lot and smokes a lot. <laughs> but I usually don't drink on the road. Uh, I might like, you know, the last show of the week, knowing that there's no more shows for three or four days. Um, I may drink then, but you know, our, our antics are usually just us clowning around, having fun with each other. Uh, you know, it, it's, we mess with other bands now and again, but this, it's not really super crazy. We're very business minded. We're are we're very go oriented. So we're always out to, uh, you know, I always tell everybody, I'm going to go out and claim the booty and take the booty home. And when I get home, make sure I get the booty. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good, good. And when you think of the future then and the evolution of the band, what would it look like in, say, five years' time? You know, five years is a good scope. Um, I think we have a strong five years left in us. I really do. Um, right now, we are really climbing up when it comes to um, motorcycle rallies, bike rallies, uh, festivals, stuff like that here in the U.S., we're really getting a lot of calls, getting booked at a lot of shows. Um, you know, as far as it comes, when you get down, you know, they call us red dirt metal, um, southern fried metal. Uh, so, you know, southern fried rock and roll, red dirt metal. So we're just kind of in that area where if you're looking for something like that, you don't have many choices. You know, that's what you're looking for. There's not a, There's not a lot of them out there. Now, I will admit that there seem to be uh, somewhere in this, in this area, there's a lot of that area is growing when you're starting to see bands like um, uh, them dirty roses and just other, that, and that may be a little bit more leaning to the countryside of it, but just uh, those kind of good bands, you know, that are meant to be like that party band at the, at the rally, the festival or something, you want to keep them interested. So yeah, I, um, uh, I think that what you'll see is that we will grow to be one of those bands that will start to dominate that market. Cause I already see that we are, I mean, when I look into next year and what we did this year, we played a lot of the major rallies, you know, we were in Daytona, we were in Arizona, we were, we were in Sturgis for a whole week, uh, you know, so um, we're going to Carolina, uh, rally this year so and we're already set up for another rally in indiana and one in montana and one in minnesota so um a, a lot of these rallies that aren't as big as some of the other ones they're definitely jumping on us we're probably not only are we the band they want but we also fall in their price range uh, i got a couple of shows coming up with jackal um, um that are just rallies that have booked jackal as the, as the headliner and as his main support so i think you're just seeing us start to fill in those holes that are gone, that we've, we've lost those legends, you know, Leonard Skinner can't play year round. Um, ZZ Top's not going to play year round. So they'll just hit 
hit those certain spots and take the big money <laughs> and we'll hit every spot and, and take what we can get, <laughs> That's right. which is really good right now. I don't want to, I don't want to play it down. Like we, I mean, we all make good money or we wouldn't be doing it. Of course. You know? True. True. And I have to ask how long or is it even on the cards that we might get you over to Europe at some stage? You know, we would love to get over there. Um, we haven't been there in quite some time. Um, we played boss pop way back in the day. Um, we played some in Belgium, uh, Amsterdam. Uh, we would love to get back over there. You know, um, I would love to get into Ireland and Scotland. Uh, my good friend uh, and Danny from Nazareth. I would love to get over there and visit with everybody over there in the castle. Um, just, you know, I would love to make it happen. It just always depends on money. That's, that's what's, you know, whenever, you know, we want to make X amount of dollars a week and the cost of getting over there and the cost of, you know, when you get there, you know, you don't have your tour bus that you have back home. You got to get a tour bus there. You take your merchandise over there would cost a fortune. So you gotta get somebody over there to join you to sell the merchandise and, uh, it, it is tricky, um, but I will do it within the next five years, no matter what. Um, there, are, we have a lot of talks going on right now, and um, we're trying to figure out what's the best route for us, the best way. But we are in talks with a, a purchaser for Europe, and uh, hopefully, we can come over there and hit some of those places that I named earlier, like. Uh, Finland, New Zealand, um, Sweden, France, Germany, and of course we want to hit Scotland and Ireland as well. Hopefully, hopefully, be epic. Maybe we could just set up, set up camp in Amsterdam and just <laughs> go out every direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't be too bad. Wouldn't be too bad. But your race right as well, you know, it has to make sense for you to do it. You know, it, it does. But I mean. The thing about it is, is that I want to do it so bad. If I would, if I could get to a break-even point, mm. I would do it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be too I bad. Break-even point. I, I think, I think we're probably, I think we're probably close to getting to a break-even point. If these airlines would quit jacking up their rates so high, you know, I mean, my guitar players are going to have to bring their guitars. So my, you know, so that's that's where you get put. You know, other stuff we can have backline, but. You know, it it just it gets crazy when you start adding up the cost. You know, ticket purchase, round round trip. So you know, if everything works out with some of these um, European promoters that, that are interested in us, if we can make things work, we're definitely gonna make it happen. I promise you. Brilliant, brilliant. And before we dive into the last couple of questions, then future plans for the rest of the year that are set in stone. Anything you want to share or tell us about? Well, we're headed out to uh, Florida for a week. Um, we're actually going to be doing one of the shows is with Queensrack. Um, so we're going down there to do a week down there and just probably stay out, hang out in Florida while it's warm, uh, have a little seafood. Uh, and then we've already started songwriting some for the next album. Uh, the guys all know that I've, I've reached out. and We usually write about 16 to 20 songs and then pick from those. Um, so I'm sure that I'll probably have five or six to, to pick out of the songs that are being turned in to get on to the next album. Um, we, 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 you know, we always lean towards certain, certain way, you know, of course, we're always going to have a super heavy song, like keep my name out of your mouth. Uh, and then we're always going to have a song that's kind of leaning towards that country and influence like the name lives on but we have a few songs that are very leaning towards the country world that you may even see us be able to cross over in the country with you know um my belief is that uh, built for the road uh is probably a crossover song already i don't know what i don't know what country radio stations would play it but it's close but we have another song called the country song and it is a great song it's beautiful from beginning to end musically uh melody is just incredible and um the uh the lyrics to the song are just straight up pure thc just dripping 
drip in THC. So, and, you know, to already be riding and knowing that the album probably won't even come out until, you know, October of next year, possibly. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And uh, I suppose we'll dive into the last couple. These are a couple of random music questions, but I'm intrigued to see your answers. So if you could see any band or musician from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Hendrix. Like the quickness in your response. <laughs> Give me Hendrix, baby. I don't even need to ask why. And uh, <laughs> the next one, so this is a bit, a bit weird. If you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would you pick? Adele. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't need to ask why. <laughs> she can sing pretty to me without any without any uh, instrument accompaniment. And um, maybe I could talk her into doing something dirty in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> I like your style. <laughs> and the, uh, the final one, so... What song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Bang. The other one seemed easy compared to this. One. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I would want to be cocky and say that it would be something by Kid Rock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but... Um, um, it'd probably come down to uh maybe Wayland's outlaw bit you know um if not that um Willie and Waylon you know that mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys most definitely um you know uh I just my life has just been strange you know, growing up a chubby, fat ginger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I just the brutality of people picking on me or bullying me. So one day, my really good friend, Sean Flynn, said, you're bigger than all them. You can whoop their ass, so you don't have to take this stuff. So why don't you just fight back? And I was like, oh, yeah. Why don't I just fight back? <laughs> and then I just started whooping everybody's ass. And um, I, I just... uh Sean Flynn's also the reason I first kissed a girl. <laughs> uh, I was on a field trip and I was catching crawdads and somebody said, what are you doing down there? I said, I'm catching crawdads. I was trying to impress these girls, you know, look at these crawdads I can catch. And they said, John Flynn's over underneath the, some kind of, uh, some kind of thing that kids played on. He's over there kissing some girl. And I was like, kissing a girl. I could be kissing a girl. I'm down in the water catching crawdads. So I jumped up and ran off and grabbed a girl I had a crush on. I knew like me, and we went off and started kissing for a little bit on that field trip. So, yeah, Sean Flynn was a good influence on my life, but also talked me into skipping school. So bad influence. I was also only in the third grade. <laughs> we skipped school. So, uh, yeah, um, such is life, man. I mean, you know, don't just live it. Love it. If you're not loving it, changing it change how you live and get it somewhere where you can love it for damn sure exactly best advice i've heard now in a long time rock and roll big dad rich it has been an absolute pleasure this one this last hour has been a personal favorite for me out of all the ones i've done thanks a million oh man my pleasure my pleasure thank you so kindly being a descendant of uh, ireland is always good to hear it's always good to hear that Irish tone and, you know, the Irish accent. You know, uh, my dad is uh, a proud man that he was. He would often brag about being Irish and Choctaw. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good mix. <laughs> Choctaw Indian. And I, I don't even know if we have any Choctaw in it, but as you can see, I'm pretty sure we got some Irish. <laughs> Texas boys are like the Mickey Gilly 
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.